we're, we're going to look at um, a, a, a passage in Scripture where as soon as Pete said that we were going to do encounters with Jesus, there, there was one encounter that I really was on my heart to want to share. And, and I don't know why, so we'll find out. Um, but it's the encounter with the rich young ruler. And it's, it's an unusual encounter because it's one of the few encounters that Jesus has where the person goes away in a worse position, really, than when they, when they came. And, and it's a sad encounter. But it should be a challenging encounter, and it should be an encouraging encounter when we really look at the context of it. Um, but before we actually get into um, the, the, the word itself, it's, it's true that when we get to heaven, there is only going to be one way we're getting in, and that's when Jesus is the one who's standing on the scales and not us. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it kind of goes against cultural thinking now, doesn't it? You know, we have a cultural society that's always striving to, to, to make us better, to be better, to, to, to do good things, should be an aspiration of our lives. And as believers, I really believe that we should strive to do good things. But I think we have to be careful and we'll see that in the passage today, that, that, that we don't fall into this trap of thinking that it's the good things that we do that give us the right to salvation and eternity with God. It isn't. Isaiah tells us that even our righteous deeds are as filthy rags to him. Yeah? The Bible says throughout several places, Old Testament and New, and we'll get into it, that there is none good, not one. And we have this habit of sort of comparing each other or comparing ourselves or evaluating ourselves one against another. This person's good, that person's better, this person's not so good, that person's worse. And, you know, in God's eyes, it's very simple. There's none that is good not one. And when you see the skit, you kind of get this understanding that it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, you're measured against your relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I love about the skit is, um, one thing the skit isn't trying to say, that you know, there, there were lots of good people, they'd done good things, they'd also done bad things, but the, the person at the end comes with this file, and, and it kind of, you know, I, I kind of related to it, because it, when God opens up my file, it's going to be a big file, uh, and I know it's going to be a big file, but the great thing about the skit It's not saying that you can do whatever you want in your life. You can be as bad as you like. You can do everything you like in your life, uh, but then you can get Jesus at the end of it. It's not saying that. What it's saying is, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. When you accept Jesus Christ, it's no longer you who stands on the scale. It's him. And one thing you can be sure about is Jesus is Good enough. You're not. He is. That's awesome. Is that, you know, we, I really do feel that the, the Spirit's been saying, and clearly through Lorna and through others, that there are people who maybe feel burdened with something that they just can't let go. And yet Jesus just wants to take the file and go, you know what? Let's just put that down over there. Because I'm good enough. I'm good enough for you. Um, 
Just think about that. So just hold on to that. Uh, you know, it's a funny skit, but it deals with a serious issue. It deals with eternal life. There is no more serious issue in your life than where you will f- face eternity. So the passage that we're going to look at is a passage that appears in, in three of the Gospels. It appears in, in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, and, and we'll look at it from Luke's perspective, but, but we'll, we'll look at it in all three of them. There are things that we need to pull out in all three of them. But just to give you some historical context, this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's literally about to head up to Jerusalem where he's going to be um, judged in court. He's going to go to court. They're going to find him guilty of, of complete falsehood and they're going to beat him and they're going to scourge him and they're going to put him on a cross and he's going to die. That's the, the context of this event. He's heading up to Jerusalem. Now, we're lucky today because we know that he doesn't stay dead. Amen. Three days later, he rises again. And we can we can stand on that because we know it's happened. But at this time, they didn't know that was going to happen. So Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem and he's been talking to his disciples and those around him. He's been talking about money. Uh, He's been talking about discipleship. And it's kind of interesting that both of these two things are pulled out of this encounter with Jesus, with the rich young ruler. Now, all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, let us know that this, rule, uh, uh, the, this person is rich. All three of them tell us that. Um, Luke tells us that uh, he's a ruler, and Matthew tells us that he was young. So we get this context from looking at all three of them, that he's a rich, young ruler. And, and um, ju- just think about that for a minute. Young uh, in, in, in biblical language, it isn't kind of like young in the terms of 12, 13, 14 young. It, it's kind of 20s, 30s, 40s young. Uh, um, but when you think about this, what it's trying to let us know is, uh, is, is a couple of things. Because we don't know really a great deal about him, but there are some things that we can, we can kind of pull out from the scripture about who he is. Because he's young, it's very likely that the wealth that he has is a wealth that he's inherited. So this is a person who's grown up with wealth. He's a ruler. Now, he's not a Roman ruler, we don't believe. And why not? Because as we get into the conversation with Jesus, he's talking about keeping the law. So he's probably a Jewish ruler. And if he's a Jewish ruler, he's probably part of the Sanhedrin or uh, he's, he's um, uh, maybe a layperson in a synagogue. And the, the, the Jewish hierarchy, the religious hierarchy, were kind of divided across various different groups. And one of them was called the Pharisees. And I personally believe that this ruler is, is a, a ruler from a synagogue who's part of um, probably the Pharisaic movement because he comes with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Pharisees were concerned about this, whereas the Sadducees, they, they didn't really kind of believe in, in, in the afterlife in the same way. 
So I, I think what we've got here is a, a, a young man who's grown up with wealth. He Maybe he's brought his way into rulership, we don't know. But he's got power, he's got wealth, he's young, he's fit, he's energetic. And how do I know that? Because in Mark it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. So he's got a bit of energy. And it's, um, it's an unusual event for several reasons. One, he's a ruler. He's got probably nice clothes. He's, he's well known in the community. And, and he's caught running after Jesus. And Mark tells us he, he fell on his knees before him. So this is kind of unceremonious, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't expect some of this. Could you imagine the mayor in all their finery? Legging it up to John Townley, falling flat on their face. That'd be good. <laughs> I've just got weird pictures in my head. Um, it's not the kind of thing you'd expect, but I want you to think about this in context of what we're doing over the next few weeks in our outreach season. Imagine somebody comes running towards you over the next couple of weeks and they lay themselves down before you and they go, Good teacher. What must I do to be saved? Isn't that an awesome question? I'd love to see that happen more and more and more. Now you've got to look at Luke and you've got to look at Matthew to get an understanding of the whole question that the young ruler asks. So if we look at Luke 18... And we start with 18 through 30. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in Matthew, it goes like this. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So if you put the the question in Matthew together with the question in Luke, you get this. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now we've just seen a skit. doesn't matter what good things you do. What gives you eternal life is Jesus. And I just think this encounter is so incredible because he comes with the right question... To the right person. And yet Jesus, as he often does, completely avoids his thinking and starts to deal with the truth of the person's heart. Jesus asks him a question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, there are some people who use this verse to maybe uh, try and convince us that Jesus is denying his divinity here. You know, why are you calling me good? No one's good except God. I'm not good. God is. Therefore, I can't be God is kind of the premise that they follow. But I want you to understand what Jesus is trying to get across here. And it's important for us. How many times have you heard me use the word awesome? Anybody? Loads. I love the word. It just says it, doesn't it? 
But you know, sometimes we can use words so easily. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, why do you call me good? The human understanding of goodness is what Jesus is questioning here. And he uses a very specific word. The, the, the person comes up to him and he says, good teacher. And the word that he uses, I can't remember what it is actually in the Greek. But, but it talks about an innate, inbuilt, total goodness. It's not a title that would ever be given to a rabbinic teacher. There's no record of it in the Talmud at all of anybody being given that title. And so Jesus challenges him and he says, why do you call me good? Do you understand what it is you're really calling me? Psalms, Psalm 45, 46 and three others. Um, Romans says there is none good, no, not one. So if you're calling me good, what is it you're saying? You're either trying to butter me up to make me sound really cool, or you recognize who I am. Do you really recognize who I am? Why do you call me good? You're either calling me good because you know or believe that I'm God, Or you're flattering me. And if you're flattering me, then let's deal with the real issues. And I love what he says here. In verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. Anybody notice a question mark at the end of that? It's not a question that Jesus is giving him. It's a statement. You know the command. How many of you know the commandments? Hands up. Who's brave? Who wants to give me the first four? I can, I can hear a murmur. <laughs> if you don't know them, go learn them. Go to Exodus 20, read them, and learn them, and know them. Why? Because they tell us so much about what it is life is meant to look like for God's people. To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To have no idols above him. You know, let's just start with that. So Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. And it's interesting because he then quotes five. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. Good commandments, aren't they? If we just did those five things, what a better world this would be. You know, when people talk about the Bible, I'm often, you know, I just want to help them understand that whether you believe in God or whether you don't, if you were to just read one book that told you how life could be so much better, just read the Bible. 
It's full of wonderful truth. And if we just did those five things, just those five things, what a better place we'd live in. But how many of you noticed that he's, he's kind of missed one of the six there? Let's have a look at Exodus. Can we get up Exodus? And we're starting in verse 12. So we've got, honor your father and mother. Well, Jesus said that, didn't he? Yeah. Thou should not kill. So don't murder. We've got that. Thou should not commit adultery. We've got that. Do not steal. We've got that. Do not bear false witness. So don't lie. We've got that. What one did Jesus miss out? What's the last one? Do not covet. And I think it's interesting that Jesus talks to this person who's grown up with the law. And he says, okay, these, the, you know the commandments. And he lists five of them. And the young man says, all of these I've kept from childhood. Now put that back together with the statement, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God. There's a challenge going on here. You call me good, so let's test goodness. Have you kept these five commandments? Yes, I have. Really? But he leaves one out, and the one that he leaves out is covetousness. Why does he do that? Well, I believe it's because it's the very issue of the young man's heart. He's grown up with great wealth. He's got position of power and authority. He's recognized in the community. On the surface, it looks like this is just the perfect person. How many of us, when we we go out into society, when we go out into our jobs, when we're in church, put on a, 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 a face that other people can look at and go, you know what? They look pretty good. But there's something there that we're hiding away in the background. And that's what Jesus wants to get to. Why do you call me good? You either recognize that Jesus is God and God is good, or you don't, and you're relying on your own goodness. And maybe you're measuring it against other people's. You know the commandments. It's not a question. You know them. Well, all of these I've kept since childhood. But you see, I think Jesus uses the law because this is a ruler in a synagogue who knows the law. And Jesus is trying to help him understand the depth of the law. You see, on the surface, it's very possible that this young ruler had kept all of these commandments. He probably hasn't murdered someone. He probably hasn't committed adultery, physically committed adultery. He may never have stolen. 
He may never have given false witness. He may well have honored his mother and father. But do you remember in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the law and he says, you know, here's the law, but let me take you to the depth of the law, the real meaning of the law. The law says, but I tell you. The law says, but I tell you. The law says, do not commit murder. But I tell you that if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. The law says, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And one of the biggest problems of the day, then and now, is this uh, battle with what does it mean to be good? How do we demonstrate that we're worthy? And in that time for this young ruler, his method of being worthy was following the law. And you know, doing that is a little bit like leaning a ladder, climbing up to the top of the ladder and realizing you put it against the wrong building. You know, I've climbed up this ladder, I've made the success, I've got the money, I've got the thing, I've kept the law, I'm doing everything the law tells me. Hang on a minute. I want to be over there. And I find it interesting that he tells Jesus he's kept all of the law since childhood. And yet, clearly, in his life, something's missing. Something's not adding up. Something is still in him, this gap in him, because he comes to Jesus with the question, what must I do to get eternal life? You know, I don't know about you, but for me, for my conversion, it was clear to me as people started sharing about the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace and the mercy of God, Christ on a cross for sinners, that their sin would be put onto him so that we don't face judgment because God loves us so much. He desires that none should perish. I realized that for all my money, for all of the drugs, for all of the alcohol, for all of the the women, all of the gambling, all of the things that I filled my life with, there was clearly something missing. It was, you know, early on in my Christian walk, or early on, even before I got saved, people used to put it like there's a God-shaped hole in my life. And that's how I felt. What's missing? The money's not making me happy. That's probably why I don't keep much of it. The drugs were kind of making me happy for a period. The come down was always horrid. Alcohol, you know, that always gave me a headache. Relationships, that were good for a time, but they always tended to end. And often badly. Gambling, I'd have little wins. One time I had a really big win. I won about £3,000 in the space of an hour and a half. I was like, way! And 24 hours later, it was gone. It's ridiculous what we try and fill our lives with. 
What are you relying on to get you into eternity? What is it that you're looking for to really fill your life with joy? Security. Happiness. Because I think we can often be like the rich young ruler in this story. Now, I don't know if you do this. I do this all the time. Whenever I read a book, I always adopt one of the characters. And I always think I want to be one of those. You know, I want to be the hero or, you know. I wanted to be a dog in in the famous five. I just thought the dog had a great time. Um, (laughs) But I wonder who you think you might be in this story. You know, nobody. I've never yet met a Christian who says, well, I I, I kind of relate to Jesus. (laughs) Most of us are probably thinking, well, I'm kind of like one of the disciples, right? You know, I'm standing back and watching this. But Jesus is talking to a religious ruler, a person who goes to church week in, week out, knows his Bible. And it's him that Jesus is talking to. And I think the challenge for us is this. We've been, all of the songs this morning have been about submitting ourselves to Christ. Allowing Christ to take all of us. All of me. Jesus, take all of me. Not just the bits that I want to give away. Not just the bits that are easy to give away. All of it. And this was something that the rich young ruler couldn't do. So in verse 21 in in Luke 18, the rich young ruler says, All these I have kept since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he said, You still lack one thing. Sell everything and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this passage is not saying that all of you need to go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, though I don't think that would ever be a bad thing. I don't. He's, he's talking specifically to this person because this is, the per, this is the area that this person has the issue in. Are you willing to take everything you have, everything you've gained, everything that makes you great in the world and give it away to follow Jesus? Now, I don't have lots of money. So giving money away is easy for me. Relationships. I have an awesome wife. And God's told us to stay together. So I'm not giving her away. I'm not giving any of my kids away. They'll go of their own accord eventually. But there are things that I struggle with. There are things that I hold on to. There are things in my life that I know God wants me to give up. And the challenge is always how willing am I to let it go? What's more important in your life than Jesus? 
What's more important in your life than Jesus? Because if you were the person in this story, that would be the thing that Jesus would be talking to you about. Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it financial security? Is it a house? Is it a car? It doesn't matter. Is it a ministry? It doesn't matter. The point of this is Jesus says to us, how much of your life are you really going to give to me? Because I'm prepared to give all of me for you. And that's the relationship I believe God wants us to enter into. Where Jesus gave his life on a cross to take our sin on himself so that we are left clean. And in response to that, he says, now come follow me. Give all of your life and follow me. And the young ruler, so sad, couldn't do it. It says when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Money had become his God. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to understand, again, Jesus is not saying that money is wrong or bad or disqualifies you. But boy, is it powerful. I've said many times that when, when Vicky and I were in Russia, we, we, we literally, we grew all four children, all grew all four children. All four children grew up in a one-bedroom apartment where the, the bathroom was in the kitchen. The living room was the living room, my office, the bedroom. And we had four children. We had, I, I had a salary with the church, $150 a month. It's about 100, 100 pounds a month. And we saw God at move every single day, didn't we? So I'm looking at my wife. I, I don't expect you guys to. <laughs> but, we, but thank you. But it's true. The less we had, the more we needed him. And the more he showed up, because we were on our face before him going, help. It's like, I'm here, don't worry. And not once did he let us down. And I came back to England, and I got a really good job, and they gave me loads of money, and they gave me credit cards, and, and, and all of a sudden I had everything I wanted. And where was God? He gets squeezed out of the edges. And this is what had happened to this young man. And that's why Jesus says to him, you know, or he's talking generally how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And go back to the skit at the beginning. Who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, what hope is there for the poor? If the wealthy and the famous and the rulers can't be saved, what hope is there for the rest of us? Well, this is worldly thinking. And I love Jesus' answer. Because we have to grasp it. With man, it's impossible. You can't be good enough yourself 
to be saved. You can't earn enough to get yourself into the kingdom. You can't minister enough to get yourself into the kingdom. With you, with man, with me, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Where do you put your trust? What is it that separates you from saying, this is where I put my trust, to saying, Jesus, take all of me. All of me. And I think it's a challenge as we go into this season of outreach. You know, Jesus was honest. Mark tells us, I think it's Mark, tells us that Jesus looked at the young man and he loved him. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. And as we go out and we reach people, you know, if if we have people from the village running up to us and throwing themselves down and saying, what must I do to be saved? Rejoice in the fact that they've asked the question. But love them enough to tell them the truth. The truth is the only way you can be saved is by entering into that relationship with Jesus Christ. By recognizing that you aren't good enough. He is good enough. And he loves you enough so that when you trust him, trust him. So whoever it is that's here today that that Lorna was talking about, whoever it is that's got these burdens in their life, whatever it is that is, is sitting on your back that you're afraid to let go of, if you trust him enough, you can say, Jesus You take that and take all of me with it. And he will, will, will be the one who stands on the scales of your life so that you can enter into eternal life.